Guess what homeschool moms say is almost as difficult to do as teaching writing? If you guessed grading writing, then you would be correct. Because evaluating writing is tricky because writing is subjective. I mean, when you're grading a math problem, there's only one right answer. I mean, maybe you have to make some decisions about how much partial credit to give, but ultimately, only one solution is the correct one. Well, writing doesn't work that way, does it? If I tell a classroom of students to write a paragraph on, say, grasshoppers, no two paragraphs will be the same. So how do I decide which ones are good and which ones aren't? What standards do I use? That is what I'm going to help you to figure out today. Let's get to it. I'm Ruth Wen, homeschool mom and educator. I've taught English and writing in so many different classrooms over the years, public school, private school, college, homeschool co-ops, and my own kids too. Did I mention them? So I've learned a thing or two about what works and what doesn't work. I created the Homeschool Writing and Then Some podcast to give busy homeschoolers simple, step-by-step, time-saving strategies that you can use in your own homeschool classroom. Do you have a middle schooler who's still writing in enormous chunks with no clue about paragraphing? Or a high schooler whose essays read like text messages? If so, don't despair. Help is on the way. This is Homeschool Writing and Then Some. So before I get started and forget, I want to tell you about two PDF downloads that you are going to want to get your hands on before we get started because I'm going to refer to them in the second part of this episode, and it will make so much more sense if you have them in front of you and can see what I'm talking about. Now, obviously, if you're in the middle of doing the dishes or driving in your car, you may not be able to get that download right now, but try to go back and listen to this episode again when you have the downloads in front of you, because it will just make a lot more sense if you can do it that way. So if you look in the show notes, you will see links to a grading rubric, that's the first thing, and then a grading rubric example. You want to download both of them. Okay, so make sure you get those. So the last several episodes have been about how to teach writing to your middle school or high school student. And if you remember, step one was to have them do a structured journal. So if you haven't listened to episode one, go back and listen to that. Step two was having students, well, having you first understand the writing process and then helping your students apply the writing process to their own writing. So that was step two, and that is in episode two. And then steps three and four were in episode three, and step three was to know the main types of writing. And then step four was to plan out your writing calendar where you decide how many papers you're going to do and what kinds of assignments you're going to give. All right, so that was episode three, if I didn't already say that. So you should go back and listen to that if you haven't already. Okay, so this is the fifth and final step. And that, and what I'm gonna talk about today is having a plan for how to evaluate student writing. Now, I doubt that I need to convince you that grading writing assignments is hard. I bet you already know that. You've probably experienced it firsthand. So here's what tends to happen when someone sits down to grade a paper. So they start out and they notice, hey, this student didn't indent 
the first paragraph. I told them they should indent it. They should know to indent it. That's one of the rules. We indent paragraphs. Okay, so you mark that. And you read on. And in the third sentence, you notice that they have spelled a word incorrectly. So you mark that. And then you scan on down and you see that they have forgotten a comma. Okay, so what you've marked there are things that are called the mechanics of writing. Things like punctuation, spelling, and capitalization. There are other ones too, indenting the paragraph, for example. So those are the mechanics of writing. And the reason that we tend to focus on those things is because there are rules for those, right? And it gives us something objective to focus on. It's the same, you know, There, you put a period at the end of a declarative sentence. There's a rule for that, just like two plus two equals four. So it's an attempt to to mark the things that we know that there are rules for. But the tendency then is to think that if a student's paper is riddled with spelling and grammar errors, then they must not be a good writer. My son, who is now in college, was diagnosed with dyslexia. It's probably called something else now. But he was diagnosed with that when he was in kindergarten. And the psychologist who evaluated him told me he would never be a good speller. And that actually turned out to be prophetic. He's very thankful for spell check. However, he didn't just struggle with spelling, but with almost all the mechanics of writing. And he would hand me two-page papers that were one giant block of writing with no capital letters or end marks, so the sentences just ran together. And this continued on into middle school and maybe even early high school. Most anyone reading or trying to read these papers would have concluded that he was a horrible writer. However, he was actually very good at coming up with ideas and organizing information. His papers were insightful and creative with good analysis and logical progression. With age and practice and tools like Spellcheck, he's gotten way better at the mechanics. And now he's whipping out papers for college left and right and getting A's in college English classes. On the other hand, I've also taught students who were great at spelling and grammar, but had no idea how to develop and organize ideas, which made their writing bland and difficult to follow. So my point is that mechanics, capitalization, spelling, punctuation, those things, they don't tell the whole story. Now, please hear me. Mechanics are important. When your writing is full of errors, it doesn't communicate clearly. Plus, studies have shown that people tend to associate bad spelling with someone of lesser intelligence. I mean, think about it. When someone spells something incorrectly, don't you question just a little bit how smart they are? So the mechanics of writing are important, but it's not the only thing to consider when evaluating writing. Okay, so with that said, the next question is, well, what should you prioritize or emphasize when evaluating writing? So that's exactly what I'm going to talk to you about today, because you can focus on the same basic categories for nearly every essay that your student writes. I've created a grading rubric that you can use to grade really just about everything. Well, almost. It wouldn't work for fiction writing, and it would have to be modified a little to apply to, um, say, a paragraph instead of a full essay. But it, it really does work on most things. So you might be saying, what is a rubric? That's kind of a funny word, and you don't hear that word every day. Well, a rubric, R-U-B-R-I-C, well, a rubric 
is simply a scoring guide that lists the criteria by which you're going to measure the student's work. So if you look at the grading rubric, hopefully you've had a chance to download that, you will see that there on the left-hand side in the grade out area are five different categories that you're going to be looking at when you evaluate student work. So it says where it says focus content, that's one category. And then organization, that's another. And then style is the third one. And then mechanics and grammar, see it's on there. And then focus skill. So I'll say more about that at the end uh, because that one's a little bit more variable than the other four. The other four are just parts of any piece of writing. I mean, pick up a newspaper article or a magazine article or really anything, a blog article, and you will you could you could grade them on these categories because these are the things that go in to writing something. Okay. So how do you grade them? Okay, so now you know what you're going to be grading. How will you grade them? Well, you can see that in the top are the words excellent, sufficient, developing, needs improvement. Okay, so that's kind of the equivalent of A, B, C, D, or F. Okay, so depending on if D was part of it. I mean, F is like, that's that's just, I would never put an F on a student's paper, I don't think, unless they just simply didn't do it, because that's just so discouraging, right? So this is a very simple rubric that I have created. Now, if you were to go online and Google writing rubrics or grading grading rubrics for writing or something like that with those kind of kinds of keywords you would find a whole host of rubrics that you could use to evaluate writing and different kinds of writing for that matter there may be a rubric for evaluating persuasive writing and so on so if you're looking for something more elaborate you could go find that this one is very simple so that it's really easy to use but i think it gets the job done really well Okay, before I discuss what each of the categories on the left signify, what, what I mean by focus and content, for example, an organization, let's talk about the points values that are in parentheses next to each category. So those are arbitrary, arbitrary points. You could decide that you want to make focus and content worth 50 points of the paper. Okay, so you can decide how many points that you want each category to be worth. Now, I think as you probably can have already guessed, that focus and content and organization ought to be weighted more heavily than mechanics, which you'll see is only worth 15 points. Okay, but you can decide how you want to weight the different categories. Now, if you do, the points will all add up to 100, so I'm doing it out of 100. I will admit to you that the math is a little bit fuzzy in this rubric, uh, in the way I'm going to explain how to do it. So if you are a math person that really wants to be very precise, then please do that. Make this rubric your own, but you could start here. This would give you a place to begin, and then you can figure out the way you want the math to apply. Okay, so notice that the focus and content, I'm going to make that worth 25 points or 25% of the paper. And so when I say focus and content, what am I looking at? Well, I'm looking at whether they were aware of the audience they were writing to. Okay, I, I'm looking at the thesis statement or the purpose statement of the paper. I'm looking at development of ideas. Did they follow in a logical pr progression? I'm looking at the overall coherence of the paper. 
Then the next category, organization, is also worth 25 points. And for that, I'm looking at the introduction. I'm looking at how the uh, information is arranged. I'm looking at how they transition between different points. I'm looking at the conclusion. Okay, so that has to do with organization. And then style, I'm looking at the word choices they've made. I'm looking at how clear it is. I'm also considering sentence structure and variety. And then, of course, the mechanics grammar, which we already talked about, and you can see that listed there. I should say sentence boundaries are uh, whether they're writing in complete sentences or not, if there are fragments or run-on sentences. Okay, so those would be related to sentence boundaries. Okay, and so that brings us to the focus skill. And the focus skill is simply whatever you have been focusing on for this particular paper. For example, if you're doing a a descriptive essay, if you're having them do a descriptive essay, then you might be focusing on them using vivid and precise language. So you would you would consider how well they did that, how how well they practiced that skill in the paper that you've assigned. Okay, so those are the main categories that you would be looking at. And so you would decide, let's go back up to focus and content. So let's look at audience awareness. Well, let's say they did an excellent job on that. So you would just put a check by that. And notice how there are four different categories that you're evaluating. So you can take that 25 points and distribute it among those four points any way you want. Okay, so sometimes I just leave like a bonus point. Like if they get all excellence, then I'll throw in an extra point uh, to make it 25. If I'll make, you know, I'll make all of them worth six points and then the extra point would be, would get us to 25. You don't have to do it that way. Okay. You can decide how you want to divvy up the 25 points. Maybe you think that purpose or thesis statement is the most important of those four ideas listed there. And so you would make that one worth seven points and the other one's worth six. And then that would add up to 25. And so what I do is, so for excellent, they would get all the points. So let's say that we've made them worth six points apiece. Okay, so I would give six points for excellent. If I thought it was only sufficient that they weren't, that there wasn't enough consideration of the audience in whatever they were writing, maybe they used slang when they shouldn't have been because this is a formal paper, an academic paper, and slang slang is not appropriate for that then I might count off for that, okay? And so maybe that would only be sufficient. So what I would do then is instead of giving them six points, I would give them five. So if I thought that they really struggled with it and that it was just a, they were developing the skill of being of having audience awareness, then I would give them a three. And if it really needed a lot of improvement, then I would give them a two. I'm not sure I did the math right on that. So six, five, four, three, I didn't. Okay, so I just take a point, take it down a point for each one. Now you could take it down a point and a half or two points. You can decide how you want the math to work out for these. But this is what you would be looking for when you are grading the paper. And it gives you something to look for. Okay, so let me back up just a little bit. And I, I, I probably should have said this even before we started going through the rubric. So let's say your student has handed you the assignment and it's been revised and you are, you're ready to sit down and grade it. 
Okay, so the first thing I would do is I would read through the paper one time completely. Just get a sense of the flow of the paper and what they're doing, what what their argument is, what the evidence is, or the details that they've pulled in to make their argument, just so you have a sense of how the paper flows, okay? And then once you've done that, then go back and start looking at the specific categories. So now you can consider, what was the thesis statement or the purpose statement of this paper? It should be in the first paragraph probably, or it, it might not even be one particular sentence. It might just be that the whole paper is revolving around one idea. That's maybe, maybe it doesn't get stated until the end of the paper. Sometimes it's all right to do that as long as it's clear that the paper is centered around one point. Okay, so you would look at that and then the development of ideas, you would go through and see, well, how did these ideas develop? Was there good development? Could I follow that? And so on. And so you would just make your way through each category and get and check it off, whether it's excellent, sufficient, developing, or needs improvement. Okay, so you can make as many comments as you like. In the example rubric, if you've down, if you downloaded that as well, you'll see how I made some examples, or I'm sorry, made some comments next to uh, next to some of the statements. Now, you don't have to put it for everyone, but you can if you would like. If you want to comment on every subcategory, you could do that. And then at the end, I have a general comment. And when I make a general comment at the end, I like to find something that the student was doing well and praise them for that and then list a few things that they might need to work on. Okay? And I should also say in the... Um, when you start, when you grade the mechanics and the grammar, I would be careful about how many mistakes you're marking. If they really are misusing commas, you don't need to mark every single comma mistake if that's going to mean you're marking 50 places, because that's just overwhelming for a student. So just focus on a few of the things that they're, a few of the comma errors, and know that you need to work on teaching commas if that mistake is recurring. I hope that my discussion of this, along with the PDF example, will give you a, a pretty clear idea of how to use this grading rubric. If you want even more help knowing how to grade student writing, then you could look into my course, Help Your Homeschooler Become a Confident Writer, Even If Writing Isn't Your Thing, because I go into detail about how to evaluate or assess student writing. And in addition to the rubric for each essay, that the students work on, I give you specific questions that you can ask to help you evaluate the writing. So let me give you an example just to make that a little bit clearer. So one of the essays that I teach is how to write a descriptive essay about a place. Okay, and so after the instruction on that essay, which includes the pre-writing and how to pre-write that essay, and then drafting, and then revising, we get to the evaluating part. And I give you, I, I just walk you through how to do that. So read the essay all the way through. And as you're doing it, use these questions to help you evaluate. So question, the first question, how well does the first paragraph hook the reader with an interesting statement, story, or detail? It does an excellent job of engaging the reader. It does a sufficient job, or it needs improvement. And so you could mark that. 
the number three, or I'm sorry, number two, how well does the first paragraph state the purpose that is identified the place and why the place is important? The purpose is clearly stated. The purpose is somewhat suggested. The purpose is missing or unclear. So do you see how I I elaborate on the rubric just a little bit by giving you specific questions that you can ask to evaluate the purpose statement in the paper. So the next question says, is there a dominant impression of the place? And so you could respond, yes, the dominant impression is, and you would list what that is. And then the next choice is, there's not a dominant impression. And then the next question, how well do the details support the dominant impression? The dominant impression is well-supported. Some details support it. Some details don't relate. The essay has little support and needs many more details. So I just walk you through how what to look for in each essay. Okay, so that's an option if you think that you want to dive deeper into either how to teach essays or how to evaluate them. Both of those you will find in this course. But I think that the grading rubric that I just went through gives you an excellent place to start. And really, you can get a long, long way, my friend, with this grading rubric. So give it a try. In the first episode of this series, you may remember that I told you that the question I get asked most frequently is, how do I go about teaching writing to my middle school student or my high school student? So that's the question that I've tried to answer for you. And I promised you that I would give you a step-by-step, easy-to-implement strategy for helping your students write. And I hope you found that to be the case. So let's review quickly. So you'll remember that step number one was to start with a structured journal. And you do that because it will ease students into the habit of writing and give them more confidence as a writer. But it also will ease you, the teacher, the parent, into the habit of assigning and assessing the writing. So it's good for you and it's also good for your students. In that episode, I also talked about how to use structured prompts so that students were able to practice different kinds of writing. And then in step two, step two was to understand and use the writing process. So the first one was pre-writing, and we talked about how important it is to spend time in this step of the process because it often gets skipped. And then we talked about drafting, and we talked about revising and how revising is different than editing, which is the fourth step. And then we talked about publishing, which means getting your students writing out in front of others uh, so that there's an audience for that writing. And then step number three was to understand the main types of writing that you want students to practice. So we talked about how they could practice writing summaries and how they could practice descriptive writing and narrative writing and informational or expository writing. And remember, that was a really big category that included things like comparison and contrast and writing book reports. Also, uh, persuasive writing was another mode of writing we talked about, and then fiction writing. And then in step four, we put it all together. That was the step where you plan out your writing calendar. You decide how many assignments that you want to give and what kind of or which kind of assignments that you want students to do. So for example, month one could be journal writing. Month two could be summary and descriptive writing. And remember, I gave you specific ideas for what you could do for that such as summarize a fairy tale or, or, and I should say, write a descriptive essay about a significant place and so on. So you are able to actually plan out your writing calendar for the year. 
And then step five, which of course we talked about today, was to have a plan to evaluate all that wonderful writing that your students are doing. So now it's up to you to go put this plan into action. Even if you just do the first step and have students start a journal, that will likely give you confidence to move to the next step. So you can do this. So if you are interested in finding out more about me or about the courses I teach or getting more writing ideas, I recommend that you check out my website, which you will find at homeschoolwritingandthensome.com. And if you are enjoying this podcast and are getting benefit from it, please pass the word on. I would really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now. 